All righty. We left off about a line uh, and a half into Daf Pei Beis Amad Aleph. Says the Gemara Gufa. Amr of Yeshua ben Levi, kol makim sh'amar Rabbi Yehuda emosai ubameh b'mishnaseinu ain yol farsh tevrichachamim. I quoted earlier statement of Amiroyim, which taught us that whenever we have the Tanner of Yehuda chiming in in the Mishnayas to say the, you know, with the words Bameh, right? Bameh meaning in what case, or Amosai um, meaning when in our Mishnayas, we can safely assume that his intent is not to disagree with the Tanakhama, but to explain what the first Tana was coming to say. Says the Gemara, how can this be? These are the scenarios of Psul. These are the scenarios, these are the people who are Im, uh, who are, what, what's the word? Um, disqualified from giving Edus, from bearing witness in a Jewish court. Uh, it's a very famous Mishnah. Somebody who gambles with dice. Somebody who lends money at interest. People who race doves, another kind of gambling. And people who profit from Shvi'as payers from, right? You're not supposed to sell the fruit, the produce that grows during Shemitah, but some people unfortunately do. And those people are disqualified from Edus. So our view, the view of the comments, Amos my That's only when they don't have an omnis, when they don't have a profession. Um, Elihi, right? When the only profession these people have is Masahi Bukovia. The only thing to do for a living is gambling. However, right? If someone has an omnis, a profession which is um, different to have some other profession, then uh, they're, they, they, it's a bad habit they have, but they're still. Uh, acceptable aid in their acceptable witnesses. Now, says the Gemara, whether they have no um, profession but gambling, or if they have another profession, if they have a day job, nonetheless, so what's at stake over here? What's this disagreement? This agreement basically is, is the reason that these people are disqualified from bearing witness, does it have to do with the fact that they are um, they're no good nicks. They're not. They don't contribute to society because they engage. Um, they engage in this uh, dissipated way of life, and they don't have any. Um, they're, they're not upstanding, functioning members of the society and the economy. Or is it based on the fact that they are taking profits they're not allowed to get because there there's an opinion that says asmachta leikanya anything which basically involves gambling where I say oh something that I have no way of knowing would happen or not if that happens then you'll get you know I'll give you a hundred bucks that is not that is legally disqualified from working it does not uh, it's not a good uh, halakhically speaking it's not an acceptable arrangement um, so if you take that money you're a thief you're a thief. Right on the rabbinic level. Ah. You're a thief. Rizibar? Oh, sorry. Didn't know I was unmuted. Oh. <laughs> um, right. So uh, if you take that money, then you're a thief. So that's another angle why you might be disqualified. So if the reason is that you're a thief, if what's going on is that you have no right to take the money, so that would make, wouldn't make any difference whether you have a main, a main job, whether you have a day job or not, right? Because regardless, you're taking money that you're not allowed to take. And therefore, you're disqualified from bearing witness. However, if the angle is, um, if the angle is 
that you're not a contributing member of society, but if you have a proper job, then you are a contributing member of society. You happen to be one with a bad habit of gambling, but you are not a person who is defined as a gambler. The point is that we're assuming that Rav Yehuda here is debating the very same Chachamim of the, uh, of, the, um, of the Mishnah. He's debating the very same Chachamim of the right, the Tanakhama, the first, the first, uh, the first uh, opinion that's listed in the Mishnah, and clearly they're disagreeing, even though he said Amosai, even though he said when. So says the Gemara. I'll explain. Um, says Gemara, This is actually not the Tanakhama. It does not represent the first opinion that's listed in that Mishnah. It represents a third opinion, right? The, the first opinion of that Mishnah is on the same size of Yehuda. Yehuda is explaining it. And that is that the disqualification is limited specifically to scenarios where there's uh, where the fellow has no day job. But this opinion that says you're disqualified regardless because you have no right to take the money. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rabbi Tarfin. Ironically, Rabbi Yehuda himself in the name of Rabbi Tarfin. The Tanya Amr Yehuda Mishem Rabbi Tarfin lo elam ein echad mehem nazil fi she'ein nizirus alafla. So what's the case over here? The Bryce is describing a scenario where two fellows are sitting together, and they see someone walking down the road, and one turns to the other and says, "I will become a nazir if that person is a nazir." In other words, hanging on something they really have no way of knowing, assuming it's not like the guy doesn't have hair going down his back, right? So maybe he's a nazir, maybe not. He could have become a nazir yesterday. We have no external way of determining whether or not he's a nazir. Uh, so I say, "I'll become a nazir if that fellow's a nazir." And the other guy says to him, "You're you're you're out of your mind. I'll become a nazir if that person's not a nazir, right?" In other words, they're both basically saying they're both gambling essentially on the on the on the um, the fellow's status being the opposite of what they're saying. The fellow who's saying, "I'll become a nazir if he becomes a nazir," believes he's not a nazir, so he's saying, "I'll become a nazir if that guy's a nazir." And the other fellow who's convinced that he is a nazir, that the second fellow is a nazir, but the third fellow is a nazir, um, he's saying, "I'll become a nazir if he's not a nazir," because it's obvious to me that he is a nazir. So says Rabbi in that case, um, neither. Nazir, neither fellow can become a Nazir. Why? Because Nazirus requires hafla. Nazir is a type of vow. It's like Nadarim, it's a type of vow. And vows require hafla. What does hafla mean? Hafla means certainty. Hafla literally means um, saying something uh, extreme or far out or amazing. But in this context, hafla means certainty. It means that we know that we're certain of what we're saying. Right? So if you make something ambiguous, something that you have no way of knowing, the functional battery of your Naziris, right? If you hang it on some condition that you have no way of ascertaining um, at the time that you make the statement, that's a lacking in hafla, and that's not, even though it sure sounds like and looks like a, a vow of Naziris, it simply doesn't count. Uh, so says the Gemara, since he's unsure, there's no commitment, right? In other words, it doesn't really qualify as a verbal commitment. It sounds like you made a verbal commitment, says the Gemara. No, you actually didn't make a verbal commitment because it's something that you could have no way of understanding. Since you don't know whether or not you're going to get the money, right? You don't know whether or not um, uh, you're going to win the card game or the, or the game of dice. So, uh, that doesn't work. Um, that And if you take that money, therefore, you are a thief. You are a thief and you have no right to take it. Okay. Says the Gemara like this. First of all, Hadron al Second of all, new parak. New Mishnah. 
How does one participate in an Eruv Tuchumen? Let's say we, we four want to uh, share um, a zone in which to walk on Shabbos, right? We want to walk out of the normal Tuchum, we want to walk out of Palo Alto, and we want to go on a little trip into the hills. So we got to put down an Eruv somewhere. We got to put down, uh, we have to extend our Tuchum. So how do we do that? You place a barrel. Um, you can say, Right, up to and including everyone in my city uh, can, uh, right, assuming you have permission from them, because as we learned earlier, it's potentially a choyv, it's potentially something um, that, that um, it's potentially something that you, uh, the, the, a person might say, oh, I don't want to spend my Shabbos in that direction, I want to spend my Shabbos in that direction, right, so you got to be careful. So, this should stand for everyone in my city. Anyone who needs to go to a house of a house of mourning or to a celebration, a wedding, right? Very interesting phrase. We'll see some explanation of why it says that specifically soon. The Kol Anybody who accepted uh, joining the era while it's still daytime, he's allowed to join while it's still daytime. He's allowed to excuse me participate in the in the new trum. But anybody who didn't join. Uh, who didn't agree to join before Shabbos set in, before it got dark, he's not allowed to participate because right? the Eruv can't kick in ex post facto. Eruv's got to kick in only before Shabbos. So if you want to participate, you have to agree to participate before Shabbos. Says the Gemara, Amr of Yosef. Ein ma'arvin el ledvar mitzvah. Yosef says you're only allowed to make an Eruv to do a mitzvah. There's a, now, don't get frightened. Um, so Machlech is reshining him what exactly that means. Uh, Rashi, by us, or Leibowitz argues that Rashi here actually seems to hold that you cannot construct an Eruv, ex- or rather you can't use an Eruv. You can construct it, all the Eruv you want, but you can only use it for mitzvah purposes, which is very, very uh, machmir, right? However, um, the Rambam is of the opinion that you can you can construct an Eruv if there is some mitzvah purpose which will be achieved by you doing it. Um, and then once you have the Eruv, you can do other not exactly mitzvah-related things as part of the process of your mitzvah, right? And again, this is for Eruv Tchumen. So don't, uh, don't, get a, don't get frightened about the Eruv all of a sudden. All right. Says the Gemara, my Kamash Malon, what's the big Kiddush of Rabbi Yosef? Tanina, we already learned this in our Mishnah. The Mishnah stipulated that Eruvet Chumen are for people who are going to visit to be Menachem Mavel, or it's interesting, to be Menachem Mavel on Shabbos, um, or for people who are going to join a wedding celebration, they're going to the Sheba Brachas. So says the Gemara, no, we need a Rabbi Yisif's Chiddush. You might think we're just saying that's what people usually need to travel out of a city to do on a Shabbos afternoon. What do you have to travel out of a city? Right? Why do you have to travel out of your normal home? The answer is, oh, because our friends from the next village over are making a simcha. That's why we're traveling out of our... You might think that's just Urcha de Mil, so that's just the norm, but it doesn't mean to exclude other purposes. Kamash Malan, we see that that's not the case. The um, We said Anybody who accepted to be accepted on himself to be part of our eruv while it was still daytime, We see from here that there's no bereira. There's no choice, right? What's bereira? So bereira means ex post facto, retroactively. When uh, when there's a usually right normal bereira is there's like a mixture of things and uh, let's say you know you and I own a, um, a barrel of wine together and I go and I and I draw off uh, you know a quart of wine 
for my own purposes, we say that Brera determines that that quart of wine, which I drew, was always mine, right? Even though a moment ago before I took the wine, we could not have pointed to any one droplet, any one molecule of wine and said, that's specifically mine. But once I've taken it, we say retroactively, it was always mine. That, that wine that I have was always mine. Um, so the Gemara is doing something very clever. The Gemara is saying the same thing in reference to your state of mind. The Gemara is saying you hadn't decided that you wanted to join the Eruv, right? Up, uh, you know, until five o'clock on Shabbos after, on Friday afternoon. On Friday afternoon, at five o'clock, he said, you know what? Um, uh, or, 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 or until until Shkia, let's say, on Friday afternoon. And then uh, you know, Friday night, you go, you know what? I actually want to join the Eruv. Why can't we use the power of Brera to say, since you decided on Shabbos, you know what, I want to be included in the Eruv, right? Let's say you have my food in there or something, so I want to be included in the Eruv. So now, retroactively, we can say, I was part of it all along. All along, I was part of that barrel of food. All along, I was part of that Eruv. Says the, says the Gemara, we see from here that this Mishnah holds, there's no Brera. Let there be a retroactive revelation that I always agreed to be part of the Eruv. Says the Gemara, Amr of Ashi, We can do you one better. Right? It doesn't have to be an issue of prayer. Ravashi is going to say the difference is could the difference in theory could be right that it's true. If somebody decides on, if somebody who was aware of the placement of the Eruv and had not yet agreed to the place to his own participation in the Eruv, agrees only once Shabbos starts, we can use the principle of Brera to say, we always had in mind this person. Retroactively, we had this person in mind from before Shabbos. The only exception would be if nobody told you, if you simply were unaware that the Eruv was happening. Because in that case, we definitely can't use Brera to say that you had ownership of something you never knew belonged to you. Um, that's not uh, that's not going to work. So what the Mishnah means to say is that someone who knew about the construction of the Eruv before Shabbos, regardless of whether they had agreed, could be that even they only agreed once Shabbos started. But someone who was aware, that person is able to participate in the Eruv. But if you were totally unaware until Shabbos started, you can't participate in the Eruv. Um, Ravasi. Ravasi says, Katan ben Sheish, Yoytse be'eruv imoy, nuhalach. A sick, okay, this is a bit of a tricky passage in the Gemara, so hold on tight. A six-year-old child is He's able to be uh, to go out to travel to use the eruv of his mother. We have a brisa statement um, which says that a cotton who a child who needs his mother, it is only a child who needs his mother who is allowed to rely on his mother's eruv. He has, he has to be dependent on his mother. Once he's past the age that he's dependent on his mother, he needs his own eruv. He needs his own eruv, right? He has to, to ask them, what does that mean? We have to be zeichafram, right? We have to say, and also a little shlaimi, little shlaimi is also included in the eruv. We can't just say, oh, don't worry about him. He'll go wherever his mother's eruv is. Utnan nami gabi sukkah. We also learned in reference to sukkah and a mishnah ki hai gavna cotton she ain't tarachli imoy chay besukkah. Cotton who does not need his mother, who's not dependent on his mother, needs to already go out and eat in the sukkah. Vahavinon ba says the Gemara. If you remember, we asked beizehu cotton she ain't tarachli imoy. What age group is that? A, a child who doesn't need his mother. Amri de Berbiana calls shenift of One opinion is a child who defecates and does not need his mother to wipe him. Right, so that's a relatively big boy. Right. Um, so says the Gemara. Um, 
or rather right? a child who wakes up the and doesn't call for his mother. Says the Gemara, even the big children, even seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they call for their mother when they wake up. Or rather, rather, I should say, right? A child who wakes up and doesn't persistently call mommy, 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 right? My babies, my two-year-old and my three-year-old, so they scream mommy, 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 mommy from when they wake up because they don't know how to do anything by themselves. So they can't, Nothing can happen until their mother comes to help them. That's a child that's dependent on its mother. But once a child gets to a certain age, it might call for its mother, but it's not because it can't do anything, because it likes its mother. Now, says the Gemara, what age is that, that uh, where ch- well, children learn not to persistently scream for their mother, and they, they learn to kind of function on their own? Kivar arba, kivar chamesh, four or five years old, four or five years old. So we see that, in fact, it's not five, it's not six, but it's five. It's not six, but it's four or five. That should be the cutoff point, right? By the time you're five years old already, you're supposed to have your own Eruv, the same way you have to be in the sukkah because you don't need your mother anymore. You also should have your own Eruv. So how can we say that up to a six-year-old can rely on on his mother's Eruv? Turning the page, says the Gemara, Rav Asi was, was addressing a totally different point. What was Rav Asi addressing? His mother and his father accidentally made conflicting, um, competing Eruvin. Right? His father said an Eruv for him going to the north of the village, and his mother said an Eruv for him going to the south, right? Opposite directions. Even a child who's old enough that he's not dependent totally, totally on his mother. He's already six years old. He's past the age of four or five. Right? We said that four or five is, 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 is already big enough to not need your mother. Once you're six, you certainly don't need, quote, your mother, but you still love hanging out with your mother. So a six-year-old, up to a six-year-old, when he's uh, when he's on his own, I should say, even though he's on his own in terms of the Eruv, but when his when his um, when his father made him an Eruv in one direction and his mother made him an Eruv in another direction, right? Not their own Eruv, his Eruv, right? Um, they're going to go after their mother because they prefer being with their mother up to the age of six. That's normal. Says I would I would distinguish between the genders even after the age of six. I don't know. Uh, not sure what they say. Allah Maisa. Okay, Mace face says the Gemara. Cotton Shatarhli Imoi, Yoite be Eruv Imoi ad Benshesh. Got a problem. There's a Bryce that says a cotton child who needs his mother can go out with his mother's Eruv until the age of six. So says the Gemara right away, Tiofta de Bishua Baridi Tiofta. Right, Bishua Baridi is out of business, or Bishua Baridi was trying to claim that this whole halacha is. Um, is strictly in referent, reference to a situation where you have two competing Eruvs, says the Gemara, okay, obviously that's not true. Obviously we're talking about relying on the mother's Eruv. Says the Gemara, okay, right? what are we going to do with Rav Asi? So this is a very interesting kasha. Rashi explains like this. Rashi says, we see from the language of, of um, Ad Ben Sheish that clearly we're talking about an Eruv we're clearly talking about that the same halacha that applies to a one or two year old, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to six. From one to six, it's all the same halacha. So since from one to six, it's all the same halacha, right? Now, um, because Rashi explains the Gemara is assuming that when we say ad, when we say until, we mean viloy ad bichlal, 
and not including the last number, right? Also not including that that last also. So it means when, so when we said up to, when the Bryce says Ad Ben Sheish, it means from the age of one to the age of five, but not including the age of six. The age of six is excluded. But Rav Asi claimed that the age of six also is allowed to rely on the mother's Erev. Says the Gemara, Ravasi will tell you no, that's and we should assume that six is included as well. In fact, my opinion is perfectly in line with the Bryce. So now the Gemara asks the obvious question: The real problem is that we have this Bryce clearly stating that a child needs his mother, a child that is in need of his mother, all the way up to the age of six. Including the age of six, while Rav Yana and 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 and, and uh, Rish Lakish said in reference to Sukkah that a child only needs his mother up until the age of four or five. So says the Gemara, Lekasha, It depends whether the father is present, whether the father's in town. If the father's in town. So the child is less dependent on the mother. The child runs off with the father, right? The, the child's not so scared. It doesn't hide behind his mother's skirts the whole time. But if the child's not in town, so the child, so he will tend to stick with his mother for longer. So therefore, it depends whether there is a man of the house present. A man of the house is present, then we, the child needs an Eruv and needs to come to the sukkah a little earlier because he's a little more independent because his father is there. A little child psychology from the Gemara. Okay, right. We're in favor of uh, we're in favor of uh, homes with two parents. Tanur Abanan. A person should make an eruv. A person, I'm sorry, um, can make an eruv. For right, Rashi explains means for them. You can write. It's usually kind of reversed. It sounds like they're making it for him, but Rashi explains it really means for them. So you can make an Eruv for your minor children, and for your Canaanite slaves and maidservants, whether or not they um, are aware. And you cannot make an Eruv for your Jewish slaves, right? Your Jewish servants and maidservants, and not for your adult children, not for your wife, you need agreement. You need consent. So it says the Gemara, right? We have a different price which says you can't for your adult children, for your Jewish slaves, or for your wife without consent. This is kind of like a backwards version so far of the price that we just said, right? Just a different order of the same halacha. You can make an Eru for your non-Jewish slaves um, or for your minor children, even without their awareness and consent. So it says the Gemara, why am Because I'm in charge. I'm the Tati, right? I'm, I, I own the slaves. I am the father of the minor children. I call the shots as to where they're spending shots. Now says the Gemara, the Kulan Rabon, Rabon, right? In all situations when they make two conflicting Eruvin, Right then, the master's eruv and the father's eruv take over. With the exception of the woman, because she is able to protest. So says the Gemara. That's very odd. Maishna, isha maishna. Right? Well, why women, adult children, and even non-Jewish slaves can all protest? So says the Gemara. Case number one, isha v'choldedamila. Right? We mean everyone basically except minor children, a woman, and everyone who is, uh, who is, um, um everyone who is like her. 
it's interesting. Rashi actually says that it should be limited to um, uh, Evid Ivri, but Evid Kanani, right? Evid Kanani, ultimately, I am the master of, even though he isn't a, a person who has a brain and intelligence, but since I'm his master, I can force him, it seems like, into an Erev, um, which is actually quite interesting. But the, the adult children or the women, right? They're full blown uh, citizens. They're full blown Jews. If they say they don't want to spend Shabbos uh, in you know in a particular area, of course they're allowed to do that. Right? They say no. I made an air out there. I'm going where I'm going. You can go where you go. Right? They're entitled. There's no reason that can't work. So it says the Gemara. Um, um, like this, Amar Mar. Except the woman who's able to protest. This seems to be dependent on the fact that she protested. But what if she doesn't protest? So Then she defaults to her husband's heir. Right? I assume she, if she doesn't protest, so just like the slaves, she the non-Jewish slaves, she defaults to the master, to the husband's heir. Says the Gemara, Hakatani Resha, the implication of the Reisha is, right, we said in the beginning of the Brisa that it needs to be midaitam with their consent. My love, the Amri, consent presumably means expressed consent. So how can we assume that when there is both your the individual woman's Eruv and her husband's Eruv, if she doesn't, if she simply doesn't protest, she can go after her husband's Eruv. Why, after all, we implied that in general, even if she didn't make an Eruv, in order for her to use her husband's Eruv, she would have to expressly consent to being part of her husband's heir. So says the Gemara, right? Midaitam seems to mean their expressed consent. Says the Gemara, no, not necessarily. My love, right? My love, Damri, in. She wants to say yes. So the loy, my elamidaitam dashtiku. It doesn't have to mean that she expressed consent clearly. It could just mean that she didn't protest. She didn't say, she was like, he said, okay, I'm going to make an heir of, you know, over in the West. And he, she just, she didn't react. So clearly she agrees, right? Try that one at home. <laughs> <laughs> the Gemara like this. Um, oh, so says the Gemara Lafuke. What you're then coming to exclude is Hechad the Amri, right? Hechad the Amri Loi, right? The whole thing is right to, ex- to 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 exclude a case where the, where where she protested and she said no, I won't, don't want any part of your Arab in the West. I'm going east. It says the Gemara Vakulon Shirvu Veir Valein Rabon Yoytzin Bishel Rabon. Right, the stomach, right? So anyone, we, we, we clearly state in the Brisa that anyone in any situation where they both made an Eruv, they should go after their master's Eruv. The stomach, in that case, right? In that case, um, we're not talking about no one protested, right? We said over there, right? In that case, we didn't see any indication that there was an express protest on the part of the woman. We just said because she's able to protest. Right. Well, the implication is that in this case, though, she didn't protest. She didn't say anything. So since she didn't say anything, why should that work? It would seem that if you don't say anything, we assume that you agree to the Arab. So she needs to protest. She needs to say, no, I want no part of your Arab in the West. I'm going east. She didn't say that. So how can we say Chutzman Aisha? Says the Gemara. Rava says a great point. Rava says, by making an Arab in the other place, that's all you need. You don't have to say, I refuse to participate in your Arab. I've clearly indicated that my intent is to spend my time elsewhere. Right. So therefore, um, I don't have to say, no, I want no part in your Arab. I can simply assume that by default, um, I am not part of your Arab because I made it my Arab in the other direction. And I don't have to make a, a formal announcement about it. All right. You have a new Mishnah. 
how much is considered muzin shte sudais? We said that, right? Or right, how much is considered the amount that you need to make an error? Says the Mishnah, muzin shte sudais. The food needed for two meals. Now, what's that? Lekol echad ve'echad, right? Two, the food needed for two meals for each individual, right? Mezoinoi lechol ve'loi l'shabbos. The food you eat during the week on a Tuesday, not on Shabbos. Diver and mayor. Right, Rabbi Yehuda Aimer. Rabbi Yehuda says l'shabbos v'loi l'chol v'zeh v'zeh miskaben hakos. Or maybe Rabbi Yehuda debate like this. Or Mayor says that um, uh, you you the amount of food you should use is the amount of food you eat in a meal on a weekday, two meals, right? And Rameir says the amount the uh, the, the uh, Rabbi Yehuda, excuse me, says the amount of food you eat at a Shabbos meal, right? So two meals worth of that. V'zeh v'zeh miskaben hakos. The Mishnah says both of them intend to say a kula. What kind of kula? So the Gemara is going to explain that basically there's a debate, do you eat more on Shabbos? Now, I think I know the answer to that question, but there's a debate between the Tanoim, does one eat more on Shabbos because the foods are delicious? So when the food is delicious, you tend to eat more. Or do we say that since you eat more meals in general on Shabbos, I think, they're, they're, I think their norm was two meals a day. Um, but on Shabbos, you would eat three meals a day. Since on Shabbos, you would eat three meals a day, um, since on Shabbos you would eat three meals a day, so since you're eating more food in general over the course of the day, you are likely to eat less per meal. But the point is they both are trying to give you a kula. They're both trying to enable you to give a slightly lesser amount. However, here's some other opinions. Rabbi Yechim gives you a more definite amount. So this is a very interesting little mathematical calculation here. We need loaves of bread that are a kikar for a pundyoin, right? A pundyoin is a small coin. So a pundyoin's worth of bread. Midalid sain besela. When the price of bread is a four sa amount of bread sells for a sella. So that's a little uh, kind of convoluted. But what it essentially means is that um, every pundyoin comes out to roughly a chazi kav. Um, uh, a half of a kav, which is one uh, forty-eighth, uh, um, right? We have we have forty-eight chazi kavs, forty-eight half kavs. Each one uh, fits into a punyan, right? So that's forty-eight because um, every chazi kav, every half a kav counts for two sudas. So what that means is you have six coins known as a ma, six mois in a dinner. Every ma is two punyanin. Now every Right, so that means that a dinner is twelve punyoins, right? Because there are six mois in the dinner. Now a cella, right? There are four dinner and a cella, so a cella is forty-eight punyons. Now that we know that, when you have a saw, right? When you have a saw, um, uh, uh, so, uh, when you have, excuse me, dalid saw, four saw selling for a cella, so then the math basically comes out to um, 24, uh, 24 kav of bread. For um, for that price, now you cut it in half because a chazi kav is the amount, which leads you to half a kav per, per punyan. That's the amount of uh, of food you're buying. However, Shimon, Shimon, two parts, right? Two um, two thirds, right? Uh, two thirds of um, of uh, of a loaf. The amount of food you need is two thirds of a loaf, which goes for shalish lekav, which goes for which is a, a loaf which is um, of which three make a kav, a loaf which is a third of a kav. In other words, forgive my um, my uh, fumbling fractions. That wasn't 
good alliteration, though. At least I know how to alliterate. All right. But essentially, Rav Shimon, Rashi explains, is coming to give us a little bit of a kula, right? Rav Shimon is essentially what, what ends up coming out is that Rav Shimon holds that you have nine meals per kav, right? Nine meals per kav, and you only need um, two servings, right? Two servings of such a, of, of a piece of bread, which is three kikrois to a kav. So in other words, a full roll is a third of a kav, Loaves of bread that you're going to use are a third of a kav. Two thirds of that loaf are is the food of two sudas. It says the Gemara. Um, let me just pull this up. I wonder. I thought maybe I had a picture or something that would help, but I don't think I do. After, okay, we will. We'll muddle along. All right. Here we are. Okay. Never mind then. Says the Gemara. The Kama Muzin Shte Sudais. How much is the food of two meals? In other words, according to um, Rev, the first the first two opinions we mentioned, Rav Meir and Rav Yehuda, who basically said what seems the Gemara assumes is the same amount. Um, just we know that they um, that they base they they differed about whether one eats more on Shabbos or on, or during the week. Two farmers' loaves, right? Two like uh, artisan loaves. Two of the uh, the bread that comes from the river of Pap of Papita. Okay, so those are familiar measurements. So it was something everyone would recognize. It's like, oh, it's that Trader Joe's bread. Amalei Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef the Rava. Rav Yosef asked Rav Yosef, the son of Rava, Avuch Keman who uh, should be the Rabbah exactly, son of Rabbah. What did your father think? Because Rabbah was a peer of Rav Yosef, but Rava was a student. Um, so who did your father, Rabbah, um, uh, which way did he go? So he says, "Gemara severely cure a mayor." He held like a mayor, um, or rather, cure a mayor severely. So he answered him, "Anonami cure a mayor severely." The curb Yehuda Kasha, Amrinchi Rafchul Right. So in terms of the question of Shabbos, whether you eat more during Shabbos or during the week, um, so he says, "I hold like a mayor," which is that you eat more on Shabbos. Right. Rameir says you should uh, you should you should give a weekday amount, which is a, it'll be a lesser amount because it's a weekday meal. So, because I agree with your father, I agree with I agree with Rabbi that Rameir is right. Because if it were not the case um, that one eats more on Shabbos than during the week, how would you explain the common saying? There's always room for dessert. If you're eating sweet, good tasting things that tends to increase your appetite. That's what we say. There's always room for dessert because you you know I might have eaten my fill of steak and potatoes and green beans, but if you hand me a nice delicious rich piece of cake I'll, I'll i'll suddenly find some room in my stomach for that you know so when you're eating pleasant tasting things you tend to eat more okay so we see that it's a general axiom that one eats more in shops during the week and that's why Rameir insists that you should measure in order to find the kula he says you should measure the amount of food you would have eaten on a weekday not in the shops all right so says the gemara right getting back to the uh, to the fractions Rebbechem ben Breka has one uh, measure. Rebbe Shimon says there's another one. So says the Gemara. Says the Gemara like this. 
Tana, we learned, the amounts that they're suggesting, Rabbi Yechon and Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon are pretty close to each other. Says the Gemara, midami. According to Rabbi Yechon's calculation, there are four meals per kav, right? Because food for two meals equals one loaf that's worth a, the coin known as a punyon. Now, what's a punyon? One forty-eighth of a sella, right? And that is when the rate, the going rate for bread is four saw per sella. Since there are 24 kavin in four saw, 24 kavin, whole kavin in four saw, so a loaf purchased with a punyon is going to be half a saw. It's going to, that's what it's going to get you. So that means that every meal is one-fourth of a kav. Right, so in other words, four meals per kav. Four meals per kav. But Reb Shimon holds teisha sudasul kava. Right, Reb Shimon says that there are um, that there are that there are. I want to see what you just shared, Jonathan. It looks interesting. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. There's there's your punyan, sure. There is your pundit. Um, that's what the coin looks like. So says the uh, so says the Gemara. According to Reb Shimon, there are nine meals to a kav because the food of two sudais of two meals is two thirds of a loaf, which is each loaf is one third of a kav, right? So if two meals is a loaf, which is one third of a kav, that means one meal is 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 one third of a loaf, right? If two thirds of a loaf is a, is a, if two thirds of a loaf is a meal, which is, is two meals, which is one from a loaf, which is one third of a kav, right? So then one meal is one third of a loaf, which is one third of a kav, which meals, means that one meal is one ninth of a kav. And that means there are nine meals to a kav. So Rav Chista has a very interesting resolution. Um, Rav Chista, you should deduct, you should take away a third. Why? Because the chenveni, the storekeeper has a markup. He marks up the bread, the price of the bread to make a profit. Now, since he takes a third, right, he adds a third to the price. So the cost, in other words, you're getting less bread for your money. You're actually getting less bread for your money. In other words, the fact that a loaf is purchased, uh, a four saw loaf is purchased for a sell, purchased for a seller, you should just offset that by a third because you're not getting exactly a seller's worth of bread. The grocer is, pay, is you're paying some of the money you're paying for is the uh, is the grocer's markup, and therefore is the storekeeper's markup. And therefore, what comes out is that um, you're actually getting less bread. So says the Gemara, it's true, right? Uh, even if you adjust things by a third, right? So a third more, right? If you make a third, if you take four and you make it a third greater, right? Or a third, really a third, I should say a third smaller, you, that only gets you six meals to a kav. So six and nine, right? One sixth and one ninth, they're still pretty far apart from each other. So how can we say that Rabbi Yechanan and Rabbi Membreka are so close to each other? They're so similar. Says the Gemara, Ella ki'idachter of Chista. We mean a different statement of Chista. Of Chista said, "Amar Timi and Mechzel Chenvini." Of Chista said, "Actually, storekeepers add on one fifth. They mark up by one fifth to make a profit. Since they mark up by one fifth to make a profit, that um, means that we when you say that a loaf is um, uh, um, 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 four saw for a sella." That means offset that by not by one third, but by half, right? So if we add half again, right? Essentially, we're doubling the we're we're, 
or multiplying by uh, by um, we're, we're 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 increasing the fraction right by half. That would mean that we're um, we're we're up to four, right? We're up to four. We're multiplying one uh, um, multiplying one over four by uh, by a half. So that gets us to one eighth. Fakati says the Gemara lemar teisha ulemar tamni. You got one ninth up against one eighth. Right, there are nine meals in the loaf according to Rav Shimon, but there are eight meals in the loaf according to Rav Shimon. Says the Gemara, Yeah, that's pretty close. It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty close. Now, says the Gemara, just almost as an afterthought, we have two different statements of Rav Chista as to how much shopkeepers mark things up. Why is what explains that discrepancy? Says the Gemara, it depends whether or not um, the, uh, the, the, the guy, the, the Balabayas, is paying for the wood, the kindling that the grocer is using to break the bread. If the Balabayas is paying for the kindling, so then he gets the reduced rate. He gets the one third rate, but if he's not paying for the kindling, so the shopkeeper has to pay, has to charge more, and that's where the half, uh, half, uh, the one half markup comes in. Okay, I think we'll stop here.